Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. All right, the latest second period about to get underway. Canadians lead the Flyers 1-0. Canucks and Blues will drop the puck at 8.30. That series tied 2-2. The Lightning tie it late in the third and win in overtime 5-4 to eliminate the Blue Jackets in the fifth game. The Avalanche hammer the Coyotes again 7-1. They win the series in five couple of goals for Nathan McKinnon. He's up to four in the playoffs. Kadri got his fifth and sixth of the postseason. And the Bruins edge the Hurricanes 2-1 to win that series four games to one. Raptors victorious 104-99 over Brooklyn. They go up 2-0 in the best of seven. Well, a lot of talk about the CFL this week. And I know it's uh, tough for a lot of you. There will not be a season. And we've spent the last three days with guests on that subject what went wrong this year what has to happen in the months to come so the league can be strong in 2021 and down the road and we're going to talk about this about the cfl in this segment as well but uh, a a bit of a different angle and uh, i am not sure where we're going to go with it but i think it'll be uh, interesting and hopefully fun please welcome to the show a man who earlier this year celebrated his 83rd birthday he is a former member of the Edmonton football team. He won the Grey Cup twice in the 1960s. He coached to a Vanier Cup a couple of times. He's in the Canadian Football Hall of Fame. Frank Cosentino. Frank, you have quite the resume. Thanks for checking in tonight. Well, thank you very much for it, yeah. Yeah, well, we uh, we appreciate it. Uh, it. It's good to catch up with you. How is how uh, life treating you? Let people know uh, where you are these days and how... Uh, how, if at all, involved you are in Canadian football in any capacity? Yeah, well, I I, I think I'm doing well and uh, healthy-wise. I get out in the golf course maybe three times uh, a week, um, two times playing nine holes and one time playing 18, and also uh, doing some writing in my spare time and, and uh, just uh, in, enjoying life in the Ottawa Valley. Okay, good stuff. Well, Frank, uh, really cool to have you on the show. I mean, as as someone who made so, so much of your life revolves around Canadian football and the CFL, just your reaction to everything that's gone on, and unfortunately we're going to have a lost season. Yeah, well, it, it is, Reed. I agree with you. It's unfortunate, but but I think it's necessary in some way. And, and uh, even though hockey and, and baseball have got their own cocoons and basketball, um, they seem to be able to do things without the crowd. They have um, quite quite extensive television contracts uh, that subsidize them, I guess, that way. And the CFL's um, a little bit unlike them because uh, we just we need the spectators in the stands. And uh, I, I, it's unfortunate, but uh, maybe in the long run, uh, health-wise, it's going to be a good thing for the league. Yeah, I, I hope so. Uh, 1919, the last time there wasn't uh, it wasn't a league. Obviously, neither one of us were uh, were around at that time. But I was I was reading some stuff that there was uh, obviously the war was ending, 
there was a pandemic, but I believe there was also some sort of rules dispute between a couple of rugby unions going after the Grey Cup that year. Well, it, it um, you're right. It, it's the you remember we celebrated the 100th anniversary of the Grey Cup back in 2012, and people said, well, you know, the Grey Cup was initiated in 1909, 2012. How does that work? Well, there were four years there during the war. And 1919, after the war, where the Grey Cup wasn't played, um, and, and a lot of it had to do, well, the three years had to do with the war, but the 1919, McGill University was the top uh, football team in Canada at that time, uh, whether they were in the Big Four or the Interprovincial or the... the uh, the Western unions or wherever, they were the top team. And and Frank Shaughnessy, their coach, said uh, the players won't be competing in the Great Cup because their studies are too important. And so what, once that happened, uh, uh, and as you know, the West wasn't coming into the Great Cup uh, until 1921. So the other teams said, well... It would be second best, and we've got expenses, and we can't make it. Da 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 da. So they decided not to have a, a Grey Cup game that year. I, I should mention, though, that uh, what was called the Spanish flu at that time took place from about two, oh, 1918 till to about 1920, and uh, there's something like 50,000 people in Canada who died from the that that virus. That, and um, right in the middle of the Stanley Cup series in 1919 between uh, Montreal Canadiens from the east and the Seattle Metropolitans from the west uh, were tied after five games. And Joe Hall, who was a defenseman and had played in the league for about 14 years, died from uh, what was called the Spanish flu at that time. And so they... Uh, they canceled the rest of the championship, and so there's no Stanley Cup, which was played in 2000. Or in, I'm sorry, in uh, 1919. And and uh, as a matter of fact, about three or four years after, three or four months after uh, that issue, when Hall died, uh, George Kennedy, who was the uh, owner of the Montreal Canadiens uh, died as well from from that flu, from that Spanish flu. So it's not unprecedented, but at the same time, uh, uh, there are times when people just can't collect together and they have to social distance and wear their mask, and nobody likes it. But hey, it's going to save lives. Frank Cosentino joining us at Insights Sports. I, I I I love how you how you tell that story, and thanks for enlightening everybody. I, I want to get to know you a little bit, you because you played in an era that some of us uh, didn't get to see, me included. I, I did tell somebody that you were coming on the show, and they said, "Oh yeah, I remember him," because uh, he played for Hamilton, Edmonton, and uh, in Toronto. So in that era, what was your path to becoming? A, a pro to becoming a player in the Canadian Football League? Well, I, as you mentioned before, football has been a large part of my life, and uh, I, I played, uh, for lack of a better term, Little League football first in Hamilton with uh, in a league sponsored by the 
um, Hamilton Old Boys Football Association, and then eventually went to high school. I, I think I tried out with my high school team for three years and was cut three years, and then in the fourth year, um, they were looking for a quarterback for the senior uh, team, and I was also a baseball pitcher at the time. Actually, Russ Jackson and I both played with the same baseball team back in uh, when we were 12-year-olds. Uh, he's a year older than I, so it, it, um, and, and I played two years with, with that. So I, anyways, I ended up playing as a quarterback, uh, liked it. Uh, as a matter of fact, I always say that the only reason I continued on in school was was to get me another year of of playing football, and I attracted some attention. Eventually, decided I went to the University of Western Ontario, and um, Don Getty, if you'll remember him from uh, the Edmonton years, yeah. he uh, graduated uh, two years before I did. I, th- I think he graduated in '54, and then in '55 went to Edmonton. Well, I went to Western in 56 to 60, and we ended up winning um, the, a national championship in in 1959. And from there, drafted by Hamilton, uh, played there s- seven years, and then uh, was traded to Edmonton in, in 67, and played there in 67 and 68, and actually played with... Um, Three of the guys who made the Edmonton All-Star team uh, for years, you know, uh, John Legrone, Roger Nelson, and John Wydraney were three players from um, who, uh, that I played with in uh, in '67 and '68, and uh, we did fairly well. We got into the the, the team hadn't made the playoffs in a couple of years uh, prior to my getting there. And uh, 67, we were 9, 6, and 1, and then uh, 68, I think, was 8 and 8. And then I was traded to Toronto and played there with Tom Wilkinson, who eventually ended up at Edmonton as well. So, And then all that that I learned from the different coaches that I'd played with, um, I, I was kind of, I guess, structuring how I think a coach should be or could be with all the information that I had. And uh, as it turned out, my last year in the league was 69, and Western was looking for a football coach and uh, somebody who could also get into their academic area. I had just finished my my PhD at the University of Alberta in uh, uh, 1970. So I, I went to Western, was hired there as an assistant professor and a football coach, and we won the Vanity Cup, as I said, for two years, and uh, got into writing. And and I, I'm going on a long time, but uh, it, it's been an enjoyable ride. It really has been. Frank, I don't think you're going on a long time. I think that a lot of people are sitting here listening to this saying, why wasn't Frank Cosentino on Inside Sports before today? <laughs> you've, you've had an awesome uh, life and career. Can, can you hang on the line and we'll... Introducing Royal Caribbean's newest ship, Icon of the Seas, the ultimate family vacation. The ultimate six slides, eight neighborhoods, zero compromise vacation. The ultimate never done that, can't wait to do it vacation. The ultimate chillin' by a different pool every day of the week vacation. This is the icon of vacations. Icon of the seas. Arriving in 2024. Book today. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry Bahamas. We'll pick up on a couple other topics when we get back from the commercial. 
surely, yeah. Right on. More with Canadian Football Hall of Famer Frank Cosentino after the break. Barry Kotkin, the Emmy of the Montreal Canadiens, got a five-minute major and a game misconduct for boarding Travis Sanheim early in the second period. Philadelphia has scored twice on the five-minute power play. Voracek gets both. So now it's Philly 2, Montreal 1 with 12.40 left in the second period. Man, oh, man, it was a hit from behind. But if uh, Kotkin, the got a major for that, then Yamamoto and Doc both should have got majors in that game three between Edmonton and Chicago in the in the qualifying round. Frustrating. You don't always get the consistency we'd like from the officiating. Frank Cosentino is uh, on the line. What a pleasure to talk to Frank. He's a Canadian Football Hall of Famer, two-time Grey Cup champ as a player, two Vanier Cups as a coach with, uh, with Western, and he's uh, telling us some great stories from his career. Um, Frank, man, we're going to have to do this again because we're in about the, the last six minutes of our, of our time here. I want to ask you this. You played football, uh, for, you played in the CFL from 60 to 69. Right. Were, was it, was there the ratio then? Were there a lot of American players coming up or what was that situation like? Um, I think the first year I broke in, um, in 60, uh, I think there were 10 Americans allowed. And then by the time uh, 69 came around, I think it was... Uh, 14, I think it was at that time, uh, 13 or 14. I can't recall exactly, but uh, yeah, they they didn't call it a racial uh, as as it exists today. It was more. Uh, uh, I think the roster when it first started, there were 32 uh, 32 people on the roster, and they got up to 36 when I retired, and I think now it's around 40. 45, 46. So yeah. it, it had a, um, a way of evening out, if you will. Uh, they always like to keep a percentage. Um, well, let me put it in this way. Um, the CRTC regulated back in the 50s that uh, 62% of the music played on radios uh, at that time should be Canadian. And there was a tremendous furor because people said, where are we going to get our Canadian uh, musicians? There's just isn't enough to satisfy everybody. And, and so we all know that that in the long run made uh, Canadian music available and and popular. And it, it, it has survived well so that you can walk into a... Uh, uh, a shopping center down in Florida and hear uh, Anne Marie at that time or, or whoever you wanted, the Canadian people. And, and I think uh, the, the Massey Commission and the leagues took that approach that there had to be, there had to be room for Canadians to play the game, but at the same time, um, we wanted to have the Americans there as well, um, and not in, in not many um, way that it was going to be harmful to the Canadian or beneficial, more beneficial to the Americans. And it's not all that beneficial, really, because they're paid in Canadian dollars. And when the Canadian dollar goes down, so do their salaries if they're going back home. But but the emphasis there was. Uh, 
the Americans could spend five years in Canada, and if they were five years in Canada and chose to do so, they can become a Canadian citizen. And so for a while, there were imports, non-imports, and Canadian Americans, if you will. And, okay. and so it's all it's all been part of the process, and and uh, I, I think it's a nice ratio that exists at the moment, as long as there's always a spot for Canadians because uh, uh, it, it's, after all, our game. Frank, give us a visual, if, if you can, of the game when you played as to now. Do you watch current games and think, man, that's not even what, what I was doing? Or do you kind of just think, well, no, like that's the CFL, but it's just been kind of progressed a little yeah. bit. I'm just curious about, I, mean, I know equipment and stuff like that is different, but yeah. just the, the whole style of play and the athletes and things like that. Yeah, it, it's. I've tried to do that. In uh, I, I've written four books on uh, Canadian football, and, and one of the themes that I tried to do is to try to... Um, mention what the Canadian style of play has been over the years from 1909 up to the present time. And when I played, I, I'd say it was uh, it was more probably 60-40 percent that you were going to run the ball. And, and, and the passing game, while it was important, um, the general theme, I think, that most coaches had said uh, it, by the time October and November and December roll around the championship months, uh, you're going to need a ground game. And so you've got to play, you've got to develop that ground game during the season. And so, uh, um, you know, in 54, and that's before my time, uh, but but Bernie Filoni was the quarterback for the Edmonton Eskimos when they played in uh, the Great Cup game of 54 against Montreal. And Bernie was strictly a, a split-T quarterback at that time. By the time he got to Hamilton, which was in 57, um, and played there, he developed as a passer so much more than what could be expected of, of most people at that time. And I asked him one time, well, how, how come you're, you're, you're throwing the ball so well during a game? He says, it all depends on what you practice. And Trimble at that time, the coach, um, was like to take the overland route. And, and so we had a combination of passes and running. Uh, today, I think uh, the, the emphasis really is on uh, protection for the quarterback. He's going to throw anywhere from... You know, 35 to 50 passes in the game, and uh, the motion that used to be assigned to the running plays has transferred to the passing plays, where maybe four or five Canadians uh, or the teams teammates would be out running towards the line of scrimmage before the ball is snapped, and it makes it really hard on the defense. And and so uh, I think I think there's an aberration there that uh, the game has become so offensive, uh, and I, I mean that in a good way, that it makes it tough for the defense to really react to all these things. And sometimes there just isn't enough time to put in a, a defense that's going to be uh, able to contain the passing game and and especially if if uh and it encourages more blitzes 
And the, the, the fans like it. And as long as the fans like it and they're coming to the game, I think that's one of the key things. But I think from a playing point of view, most of the people who played in the 60s would probably have preferred that type of game because there was uh, there was more of an opportunity to blend in both and, and get the feel of what was going on in the game and the players were coming in from the sidelines and, and things like that. Frank, uh, I, I would love to have you on the show again. I, I mean, you've written four books, so I, I'd like to delve into those. You know a ton about the Canadian Football League and Canadian football in general from a lot of different perspectives. I, I think our listeners really dug getting to know you a little bit here. So let, let's stay in touch, and maybe maybe we can talk again. This was an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Well, I appreciate that, Reed. You call any time. be happy to, to, to come on the show. It's a great show. Right on. Thank you so much, Frank. Frank Cosentino. Wow, that was awesome. Canadian Football Hall of Famer, former quarterback, former uh, coach at uh, at Western and York. Uh, wow, what a guy. Well, we'll get back a little more on him and John Walton from the Capitals play-by-play chair, the broken chair, after the news. <laughs> So after being slapped with a five-minute major penalty, the Canadians got a four-minute power play. They got one goal on it, and now they lead 3-2 late in the second period against the Philadelphia Flyers. Uh, First of all, Armia scored at even strength. One of those goals, if you haven't seen it, it's one of those goals a lot of you will complain about when you see an Oilers goalie let it in, uh, Carter Hart down and just left that little bit of room between his head and the post above his left shoulder, and Armia was able to put it there, and then Gallagher on the power play. So 3-2 for the Canadians, five and a half left in the second period. Of course, Montreal must win to stay alive. Canucks and Blues in about an hour at Rogers Place. Oh, and Montreal just scored again. Just as I was looking down, I will get you the goal scorer in a second here. Uh, was it... Yeah, Suzuki. Suzuki got it. And it looks like Carter Hart's going to be pulled. Elliot's putting on his mask on the bench. Uh, It was uh, Suzuki, just a long wrist shot. Yeah, Hart whiffed on that one. He's having a bit of a tough game. I mean, excellent goaltender. Oh, and it clipped a stick. Suzuki, a long wrist shot. And is that uh, Provorov, I believe, just put his stick in it, clipped off the stick, and I think kind of dipped a little bit at the last minute. And Suzuki gets the goal. So now 4-2 Canadians, 5-26 left in the second period, and Hart is being pulled. So Montreal with a lead there. Canucks and Blues coming up in about an hour. The Lightning beat the Blue Jackets 5-4 in overtime to win the series in five. Bruins knock off the Hurricanes 2-1. They win that series in five. And the Avalanche, a 7-1 crushing of the Coyotes. They take that series four games to one. Raptors won 104-99 over uh, Brooklyn to go up 2-0 in that series. Oh, and you know what? This goal is not going to count. Canadians were offside. They're just showing a replay now. Yeah, they're offside on the play. So if Philadelphia's challenge, now, guys, I'm sorry. I'm listening with the sound off. Maybe some of you are, uh, and I'm sorry if there's spoilers or anything. Um, but I, I think this is offside, which will make it interesting to see if Hart gets pulled because he was already going to the bench. 
but it looked to me it looks like it is definitely offside from from the replay I'm seeing. So Kellen will will wait to get before we get John Walton on. We'll uh, give everybody the decision here. Mm. We just had Frank Cosentino on the show, Canadian Football Hall of Famer. Sam G says, uh, "Hey Reed, that was a very insightful interview. Very knowledgeable guest. Vic says that segment flew by. Great guest." Frank was awesome. I, I don't know about you guys, but I'm sitting there thinking, my God, what have I done with my life? <laughs> Frank's very accomplished. And the goal is waved off. So it's 3-2 Montreal, obviously offside. This one uh, on, on the replay, obviously, when you slow it down, obviously offside. So and Hart's back in net. Hart's staying in the net, so they're not pulling him. So there you go. They put a couple seconds back on the clock. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. 3-2 Canadians, 529 left in the second period. Back along the near side. And Martin at center, a whistle. And a hand pass on that one. A hand pass gets it up and deflects it. And uh, that's why the whistle was there. But a good play by Dylan getting that puck out with Matt Martin coming down hard on him. So Martin comes up after the hit there. And Dylan as the puck went away, it ends up now. Okay, well, that's an interesting little chunk of play-by-play, and, and you may have heard a, a bit of a background noise there and uh, a, a bit of a shift for, for John Walton as he was calling the game, though. John, you did a great job uh, keeping rolling, and, and the old broadcasting rules just, just keep going and pretend like nothing's wrong, but obviously uh, – <laughs> I'll let you take it from here. It was a kind of an interesting circumstance. Yeah, I, I never had anything like that happen before. Uh, we were in the second period in this Islander series uh, early on, and obviously we're not where the team is, and we're actually at Capital One Arena. We're actually in the home TV booth uh, because NBC Sports Washington gives us the feed, and it's worked out really well, and, and we're grateful for that. So I was actually in Joe Beninati's chair, uh, which apparently had had just about enough of people sitting in it over the years because the whole back of it just fell off right in the middle. I was leaning back just a little bit, but it's like an office chair. So the whole back of it just comes off, and I was kind of leaning back. So I immediately fell backwards out of the chair, headset ripped off, chair fell down, chair fell on top of me, uh, and I went from looking the game on the monitor in the middle of a playoff game to my partner, as you heard, just picking it up uh, and, and trying not to laugh, quite frankly, because by the time that I righted myself and dragged myself back to the counter on my knees uh, to start calling the game again, uh, he had completely lost it and was non-functional and had tears in his eyes. So uh, it was crazy. I never had anything like that happen before in my life. Uh, not, I can't even think of doing that as a kid or anything like that. Uh, I was pretty beat up. My, my neck was stiff the next day. I, I, was, uh, I was cut up a little bit on my leg, but 
uh, just from the chair flipping over on me. So uh, it it hurt. <laughs> but, uh, like, all right, the show must go on. So I uh, dragged my bloody self back to the monitor and back on with the postseason. Well, I'm, I'm glad we can laugh about it. And, again, for me just hearing it, I mean, you can hear something happen, but I, I never would have thought that you were actually – like basically Muhammad Ali came into the studio and <laughs> decided to, to deck you. You did a pretty good job uh, rolling with it, all things considered. Yeah, well, by the time that my wife got a hold of the audio, she just kind of pulls it back and listens to the thump when she knows what it is. And she thought it was as funny as anybody else. And uh, I think a lot of fans were doing that because once they heard, and, and we were on the satellite that night, so we were in Canada, in the United States, we were we were everywhere, and everybody had to be thinking about, Did, is that guy okay? <laughs> what? just happened there uh just that uh you know the noise hits and then you you move on but yeah we're okay all right well that's good how many how many years for you now doing capitals games been here for nine uh going uh, next season uh hitting old double digits next year looking at 10 years next year and, and what were you doing before that give us a little bit of the the rundown because there's always some uh some great stories and i'm sure interesting rinks fields or ballparks on your resume oh yeah i mean uh nine years in hershey before that in the american league with the bears uh with the uh, caps uh, as the affiliation since 2005 a little bit with colorado before that uh in hershey before they affiliated uh with the caps i was with uh, the american hockey league in cincinnati uh, the cincinnati mighty ducks i did college hockey at miami university in oxford ohio and was actually the public address announcer for the cincinnati reds uh for seven years coming out of college which was about the best part-time job I ever could have had. So uh, when Ken Griffey Jr. was there and the old place at Riverfront Stadium, I never worked in the new barn, but uh, I was at Riverfront Stadium for the last seven years of its existence. So a lot of baseball, a lot of hockey, a lot of bus trips, a lot of buffalo wings and cold pizza, and uh, then eventually <laughs> found my way to the National Hockey League. Well, give, give me the sports vibe in Cincinnati. They got the Reds, they got the Bengals. Uh, I mean, NCAA and college sports, university sports, much bigger generally in the United States uh, and, and in Canada. What's, when you mentioned the Mighty Ducks, what, what was Cincy like as a sports town? It's a great sports town. It's not the greatest of hockey towns, if we're being honest. But uh, And at the time, it was really strange that there were two minor league hockey teams in the same town and one was in the old IHL the Cincinnati Cyclones before they went back to the ECHL and then the AHL came to town when they had an arena dispute they played at old Cincinnati Gardens which was essentially a, a smaller replica of Maple Leaf Gardens a really cool old building and they had decided to move downtown to a newer building or a remodeled building anyway and the old building said, well, hey, we still want hockey here. So they went out and brought an AHL team in, and they kind of went head-to-head -head in this minor league hockey rivalry in a town that kind of preferred college basketball and baseball and certainly the NFL with the Bengals. So it was, it was kind of a weird time. But funny enough, uh, in the midst of all of that, uh, the announcer for the Cincinnati Cyclones was John Weideman, who's the radio guy right. for the Blackhawks. So uh, we were had crossed paths long before that. Uh, he was doing the IHL, and I was doing the AHL. He went on to the Islanders and then the Hawks. Uh, I went on to Hershey and then ended up in Washington. So uh, it was a weird time uh, to be in a town like that with two hockey teams, but uh, it was a nice way to start your career, and I uh, still managed to do baseball in the Reds while I was there too. 
Yeah, that's that's uh, that's awesome. I love hearing the the bath to the NHL. That's pretty good. John Walton joining us on Inside Sports tonight, play by play voice for the Capitals. Who is uh, you are not unfit to participate after the uh, the minor injury the other night. So that's good. So the Caps stayed alive. And, man, Game 4 looked grim because they're facing a sweep and then they were facing a 2 nothing deficit. But they fought back. So, I mean, still a big hill to climb, obviously, but they got the first one. They did, and it was a strange game and one of the strangest I've seen in a while because you've had this period in Toronto where... Uh, they've been middling along. They haven't been. They weren't real good in the round robin. I don't know that anybody other than the Flyers was very good in the round robin. But uh, then they get the Islanders in the first round matchup, and it's Barry Trotz versus Todd Reardon, and the coach that won you the Stanley Cup is now your first round opponent. And, and you thought it would have some jam, and for the Caps, it really didn't. Uh, they they were manhandled defensively in Game One, and Game Two, and Game Three. And in game four, uh, in the first 10 minutes, Reed, they were pitiful. I, I mean, I, it's the only word that comes to mind. You were, when you're outchanced, uh, and just talking about shot attempts now, in the first six minutes of the game last night, the shot attempts were 15 to 1 New York. And if that ever screamed out, hey, this team's ready to check out and go home, I'd say that pretty much would define it. But uh, then something crazy happened. It was if a switch got flipped and they said, you know what, we're not ready to go home. And we are uh, a Stanley Cup champ two years back. And they were tremendous for the last two periods. Uh, the, the Islanders who had been so good defensively and in on the forecheck and just stifling defensively, winning every board battle, and suddenly the Islanders couldn't win anything. And Ovechkin was brilliant, and he gets two goals, and you win 3-2, and you went from what was a pretty embarrassing display in the first 10 minutes to thinking that there's hope here, which is crazy because you still got to win three more games. But I, I really believe that if they have another effort like that in them tomorrow, uh, this is not only a series. I think the Islanders might be in some trouble because the, 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 the Caps have the better players. They have the more offensive talent. They have... Uh, arguably, I, I think, well, maybe not even arguably, I think definitely the better goaltender. As good as Simeon Varlamov is, Brayton Holtby's won 50 playoff games in a Stanley Cup uh, and has been very good throughout much of this postseason. So uh, this is a little deceptive. It is not, the Caps aren't back in this thing yet, but I think if they won tomorrow and now you'd be going into a potential game six, uh, I think the Islanders would start puckering up a little bit uh, but to this point, they've been really good. It's been a strange series, especially having Barry Trotz on the other bench. Well, and I was going to ask you about that. Is that still a storyline in Washington for the Caps players? and Well, I guess and organization, not just the players. Is there still something there? Oh, yeah. I, I mean, I, I think that, you know, winning and then him leaving in the way that he did just days after the parade, uh, it was a strange circumstance. I mean, that wasn't at all what, you know, we thought, you know, <laughs> didn't think that's what a Stanley Cup's going to look like as the coach leaves a few days later goes to the Islanders, he's still in division, half the coaching staff too, Lane Lambert, Mitch Corner, both there. So it's not just Barry, a uh, lot of familiarity on the other side, and for the fans, especially with uh, Todd Reardon, I mean, out in the first round and down 3-0 to Barry Trotz, it doesn't look real good for the, the guy who came in after him, but, you know, maybe there's something to what happened last night, and maybe there's more to come with, uh, with Game 5. If they can get Game 5, then maybe it's a different series. 
Yeah, for sure. Going to be fun. The Caps definitely made it made it interesting. I, I I was like you. I thought they were checking out when it was two nothing, but but a strong rally. Well, I'm glad you've rallied, John. I, I wish you a great call and a strong chair next time you're in the booth. Sound good? Uh, <laughs> that sounds great. Please have it fortified next time I come to Edmonton. Thank you. <laughs> sounds good, John Walton, Capitals play-by-play voice. Kellen, we have just the the clip. Let's just play again the first ten or twelve seconds of that till we hear the the chair break. Back along the near side, and Martin at center, a whistle. And a hand pass on that one, a there hand was, pass. Man. And he got, he got hurt. That, that is insane. Yeah, but they, they did pretty well. They, they kept going, got a little bit of help, but, man, good for John Walton. Brian texted in, listening to that. He said, Reed, I was driving a – man, Brian, this is scary. Uh, he, said, he says, I was driving a semi-truck on the Deerfoot in Calgary when the back gave out on me. No warning at all. One second staring out the windshield. The next second staring at the roof of my truck. I drove 30 minutes before I got back to the shop and switched out my seat. Man, Brian, I'm Whoa. glad you're okay. That is, that's, that's, that's a lot uh, more tense of a situation than, than doing hockey play-by-play. But I'm, I'm glad you're all right. And, uh, yeah, John Walton can, can laugh about it as well. And the Capitals... Fought back. Now they're still down, but but if they win tomorrow, all of a sudden that that changes the outlook of that series a little bit. It is seven forty nine inside sports on six thirty. Jet. Van Halen on the lead guitar from the classic movie Twister, and I use the term classic very loosely. Canadians leading the Flyers 3-2. It is after two periods. Montreal trying to stay alive. I'll be sitting down to watch the third period of that one after the show. Bit of a story here to follow from the uh, world of broadcasting. Tom Brenneman on Fox Sports Ohio broadcasting a Cincinnati Reds game, doubleheader tonight against Kansas City, coming back from break. Now, I, I'm just uh, reading this myself. I believe coming back from break during the seventh inning, uh, apparently did not know that he was on air and uh, used a word that uh, we do not use. Uh, definitely a word we uh, are, are, I think most of us have stopped using or hopefully maybe some of you never used in uh, in private conversation, and definitely you would not use on air. Uh, unfortunately, his mic was live, and it went out over the air. And then in the second half of the doubleheader, the second game of the doubleheader, during the fifth inning, uh, Brenneman apologized and uh, left the broadcast. He uh, handed things... Uh, over to Jim Day for the rest of the broadcast. Uh, I, I watched this during the commercial break. He was pretty emotional, uh, said he was ashamed and that that's not who he is and very apologetic. Um, but he, th- that was it. Now, I'm not saying that was it in terms of his his career or, or doing games, but he clearly recognized that he's probably in some hot water for this. And he, uh, he left mid-game once he realized uh, what had happened. So we'll uh, keep an eye on that. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, uh, 
I, I'm not going to even kind of indicate which which word it was. It's something we all know you don't say anymore. Um, and, and again, I think we've kind of known you don't say it for a long time, but especially uh, th- these days, you, you don't say it, and it shouldn't have gone over the air. He was uh, he was caught. You know, I think we I work in that industry where you kind of if you're near a mic, you always want to be careful. And uh, his, his was broadcast. This word was broadcast. So he he left the broadcast in the middle of the next game, which was an interesting move. So uh, Tom Brenneman, you've, you've probably heard him calling games over the years. We'll see what happens with that. 780-496-0063, Inside Sports on 630. Chad, really appreciate you tuning in tonight. CFL Commissioner Randy Ambrosi will be on the show tomorrow. He's been making the rounds, uh, doing interviews uh, with the season being canceled. So we'll touch on some of the ideas that Mark Cohan and, and Len Rhodes brought up on the show yesterday and today. And we'll just get Randy's take and perspective. I'm sure he's he's very disappointed. You know, he's been under fire for some aspects of how he handled this. Uh, you know, certainly when he first went and did that online uh, appeal for, for money initially, geez, that was, I think that was still back in May. I know he was criticized for maybe not being as prepared as he could have been then. I think we also have to recognize maybe it wouldn't have made a difference that, that maybe the federal government was just not going to give any sort of loan to the Canadian football league. It sounds like they would have given one that had higher interest rates uh, involved. So a, a tough situation for Randy. He'll be at the helm of this now and hopefully he can do a good job leading the, the CFL out of this and, and maybe into some sort of restructuring or retooling or uh, innovation or new ideas that uh, might be good in the long run. We'll see. You heard from Mark Cohan tonight, Frank Cosentino. What a joy to have him on the show. 83 years of age, Canadian Football Hall of Famer. We'll get him on again. I don't think we really scratched the surface with all the topics. And John Walton, he of the broken chair from the Capitals play-by-play booth was on the show too. Thanks to Kellen Kennedy, our studio producer. Dave Campbell's the producer of Inside Sports. Thanks to all of you for tuning in tonight. My name is Reed. Take care. Six thirty, Chad. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins, weekdays at six on Six Thirty, Chad.